We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Okay, I am here with international master Michael Rahal from Barcelona. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure. Uh, so you are a very good chess player and a chess teacher, and I've had some listeners from Barcelona, yourself included, who've been reaching out to me, and I've mentioned before I'm a huge fan of the city. I'm not alone in that, but it's so it'll be good to hear the perspective of chess in Barcelona and chess in Spain and uh, the general culture over in your neck of the woods. Yeah, the, uh, I'm uh, very happy to be on your, on your show, Ben. I've, uh, I've listened to uh, practically all the shows uh, before. And um, actually, congratulations, because they're, they're, they're really good, and you're a very good interviewer. So I'm happy to be here, and hope to be able to, to give your listeners some, some insight in how chess, is, uh, how chess works here in Spain. Okay, well, thanks for the kind words. And we were just talking offline. Uh, you actually were born in England, but made your way to Spain. Uh, so you, you moved at 12. Were you already a chess player at that point, or... Uh, 
did you pick it up in Barcelona or outside of Barcelona? Um, no, I, I learned chess when I was about seven. Uh, I don't have uh, many memories of my childhood in England, uh, chess-wise. I do remember playing some tournaments there, uh, but at a very basic level. Um, then we came to Spain. My family came to live uh, in Spain, me and my brothers, my sisters, and my parents. And I think I really picked it up uh, when I came to Barcelona, uh, when I came to live in Barcelona, because um, I had some neighbors that uh, that were also uh, playing chess. One of the one of the the kids of my neighbors uh, had was more or less my, my age and, and played chess as well. And uh, we got to playing chess together. We went to the club. There was a club in our town. And uh, yeah, when I was 13, 14, I started picking up uh, a bit more seriously. Okay. And when did you make the IM title? That was quite late. I I was a late starter. Um, I did play um, quite a bit from 13, 14 onwards. But um, I was always one of the best players in my town and even in the province uh, of uh, of Barcelona, um, but and until I was twenty twenty one, I didn't really uh, start getting a decent uh, international rating. I seem to remember that I was about twenty twenty two hundred twenty two hundred and fifty back then, which was uh, probably higher than than now because the the base was two, was twenty two hundred uh, back then. You, you didn't start with one thousand like now. You started with twenty two hundred. So I was about 22.50 when I was about 23 years old. And my IM title came when I was 29. So it was quite late, actually. Okay. And how old are you, Michael? I'm 47 now. Okay. So a bit older than me. Yeah, I do feel generally like uh, chess achievements were harder to come by when we were younger. I I always tell the the young kids, the young whippersnappers with their tactics trainers, you know, who who crush us. Routinely, the, uh, things were a little different back then, and uh, there there were fewer GMs, there were fewer IMs, and there were fewer yeah. FMs, and on down the line. There was few. There was a few of everything. Here in Spain, there's about 50 grandmasters now, and when I became an international master, I think there was about seven or eight. I mean, there was, there was few of everything. It was much more difficult. There were less tournaments, less events. Um, the, the, the learning curve, it took much more time to get better because there was no computers, no internet. Uh, we had to use basically books. Well, uh, you have the same age as me, so more or less you know how this went, no? So, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah I was just, just at the tail end of the book era. <laughs> However, how, the good thing about that was that uh, as there were no computers and we were studying a lot, there was a much more, there was much more um, active practice. I think actually Yermolinsky was talking about that in, in his podcast, no? Uh, nowadays, uh, many of the lessons, you just give the lesson and the kids are listening, but they're not really doing active uh, studying, whereas uh, because they're just listening to a video or listening to someone talking on the, on the internet. Whereas in my day, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you'd have to get the books, get the chess set out and really do active studying, uh, stopping when there was a diagram, trying to solve the positions by yourself. And I think that was actually, that's actually a better way to learn chess. But anyway, times are changing. Yes, yes. And you are a, a chess educator in Barcelona. I read on your website, you've been doing it for 25 years. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would say was, I've always liked uh, to give uh, chess lessons because I've been doing that since I was basically, basically a kid. I remember in, in, when I was in school, 18, 19 years old, uh, I would play chess with my friends and teach them how to move. I've always liked doing that. And since I was 21, 22, um, while I was still studying and, and trying to improve my chess as a player, I would always be giving um, different types of uh, lessons to adults, mainly to adults, actually, not not so much to kids. 
Whereas, uh, whereas lately, for the last 15 years, I've been concentrating on on uh, on kids from about six years old to about 16, which is the the, the age groups that I actually like uh, working with. Yeah. So, so why the shift to kids? Well, um, I, I enjoy teaching kids and I enjoy teaching adults. There's no there's no difference uh, for me. What I really like is um, that the students um, enjoy learning, uh, active students, not so much passive students. And generally speaking, kids are more active students because um, most of the kids I, I, I train or I try to teach, they also play tournaments. They, they, they improve. Um, their rating improve as they, as, they, as they learn more and they win tournaments and they play better. And that's, that gives me as a teacher a slight uh, satisfaction. Whereas when I train adults... It's more, obviously they want to improve, but they want to get entertained as well. They want to have a good time um, analyzing some games. But it's much more difficult for an adult to improve um, significantly uh, because um, normally uh, they've been playing for, the, for their whole life and, and it's much more difficult to change their way of thinking. The things that they've gradually learned during their whole life, it's difficult to change them. Whereas kids are sponges, they, they, they just pick up everything new and and you can see their progress much easily so that's one of the reasons the other reason is that since 2000 i started working for miguel yescas the grandmaster here in barcelona in his chess school i am one of one of my jobs is to uh, I, I coordinate the team of teachers in the in the miguel yescas chess school in barcelona we have about 30 teachers teachers uh, chess teachers and we work in about 40 schools in barcelona and obviously that's had a direct impact in in uh, in the type of students uh, I'd be teaching because uh, apart from coordinating the the teachers and working with the schools, I also do uh, quite a few chess classes in the schools, and obviously that means I'm dealing with kids. So it's probably both these things. Thirty teachers—that's amazing. Yeah, it's quite a big school. Uh, most of them are part time. I have to say that we may we might have three or four uh, more or less full time student uh, teachers. But uh, most of the rest are part-time. The reason that is like that is because in Barcelona, in the schools of Barcelona, there's about 400 schools in Barcelona. It's a, it's a, it's a big city. There's more than 2 million people living here. And in the 400 schools, they're probably, we're probably teaching chess in about 200 of them, uh, more or less. That's, our, more or less, that's our, our idea of the number of schools doing chess in Barcelona. But most of them do um, extracurricular chess. I think it's called... Uh, not not in the classroom, but as a as a um, external activity, after class activity. I think they uh, you say in 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 the states. Uh, I think that's that's the way it's said after or, class. Yeah, or like an elective, uh, or elective. Yeah, a voluntary activity. Right. Not not a, not not a, um, a forced activity. Okay. And and the way school is structured in Barcelona, the kids go to school at nine o'clock in the morning, and they leave school about five o'clock. So chess has become a very good activity to do at midday, uh, which is more or less uh, from one o'clock to three o'clock or 12.30 to 2.30. So we do the, the chess class in the free time the kids have at midday after having their lunch. So the, the problem is that uh, there's so many groups and so few middays in the week that we need a lot of teachers to be able to um, take care of so many so many clients, so many, so many different schools, because they're all basically at the same time, right? In midday from Monday to Friday, and that's why we we need many, many teachers, but part-time teachers that only teach at that hour of the day. 
Right. So it's chess- quite tricky, actually. Yeah. So lunchtime chess instead of a fiesta. I mean, a siesta. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the siesta is one of those things uh, <laughs> uh, that um, the, the siesta actually is quite interesting. Uh, I, I think that originally the siesta um, came from the south of Spain, where it's tremendously hot at midday. The south of Spain uh, is very, very hot at midday. So generally people would go to work uh, very early in the morning go back home, have the lunch and the siesta, and then work a bit more when it would cool down about six o'clock. And, um, and that became sort of uh, uh, one of those things of Spain, you know, the bulls, the, the, the siesta, and the paella. You know, the, the <laughs> sounds, sounds good to me. Everybody, don't don't yeah, forget the sangria. But uh, yeah, yeah, sangria is very nice. <laughs> that would be the fourth. Right. But actually, actually, the siesta is not really something that... Uh, Many people actually do. I mean, I, I never, I never get time to do a siesta. Right. So, so yeah. So in in schools, um, and and another thing is that here in in Barcelona, in nearly all of the schools, the kids stay to have lunch at school. They don't go home for school. They they so basically they they the whole day in the school from eight eight thirty to to five o'clock in the afternoon. Some of the schools have the chess in the afternoon. But that's a tricky thing because uh, many parents uh, leave their kids to do chess, not specifically because they like to do chess, but more because they can't come and pick them up until later on. So they have to do some sort of, sort of activity. And that does mean that the sometimes the lessons are not so so good because you sometimes get kids who are not really interested in, in doing chess, but they're, they're more or less forced to be there. Yeah, I so. think all chess educators have had experiences like that. Yeah. Um, For sure. So how did Grandmaster Oleskis get this program set up? Like, how is it funded and how long has it been in existence and stuff like that? Yeah, well, he's, he's, the, the school was opened in uh, 2000, if I remember rightly. It's a private school, so everything is basically uh, private. We, we, we deal with the, with the different schools privately and arrange uh, uh, contracts to, to send our teachers to the schools. And every now and then, there's um, there, there there have been some arrangements with different with different uh, local governments or, but very small things. Uh, basically, in uh, in Spain, uh, the teachers who do chess in schools, it's basically all private, uh, private schools or private teachers. And uh, the only thing that which is more or less funded by the government or by the federations is the programs that don't uh, teach chess in the schools for the kids, but teach the teachers to do chess as a didactic uh, method in the classroom, which is slightly different. Um, I'm not sure if I'm... Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, So there's two types of chess. There's um, the traditional uh, after-class chess lessons where chess players with with, uh, educational skills uh, teach chess to the kids. They learn and they play tournaments and competitions. And then there's this other chess, which is educational chess, so didactic chess, which is teached by the teacher who has very basic notions of chess, but they use chess as a tool to, um, to teach other subjects, which math, uh, language, uh, um, all types of different. It's, it's a transversal method. And normally they do that with very young kids, uh, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And then when the kids get a bit better, then they can go to the after-school program if they're interested to, to go a bit further. 
And this is getting a lot of attention in Spain now. Uh, every day there are more teachers, uh, you know, normal teachers, uh, regular teachers, who learn chess, um, basic chess, and they use that in their schools um, to, 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 to introduce chess uh, as, as an educational purpose more than a competitive purpose. I'm not sure if that's happening also in the United States, but it's happening here in Spain now and yeah. in other countries as well. Well, here, you know, people who teach chess always promote it as an educational uh, tool, and I certainly believe in it as such, but I'm, I'm not as sure if there's a direct, like, is there like a direct transition from, okay, you teach the kids how to play, and then how does that translate to, like, them learning other things? Well, I think chess has a lot of uh, good um, educational purposes. It helps to develop your memory. It helps the kids concentrate. It helps them make decisions. There's a lot of good uh, educational skills that you learn just by learning chess. You don't really need to uh, specifically focus on all the other things because when you're learning chess and playing chess, you're develop developing those, those skills. But what I'm talking about is um, a, a normal teacher who might teach math, for instance, um, he can use the chess pieces – and he can use the chessboard and he can use uh, the dynamics of the chess game to, to, to teach math. Um, he, uh, for instance, instead of summing up uh, apples and pears, he can use the chess pieces to do different sums. He can do uh, basic tri 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 trigonometry and geometry using the, the chessboard. There, there are books and there are, are papers on this, uh, this sort of thing. Uh, but obviously, the teacher has to have a, 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 a bit of an interest in, in chess. And if you do that for very young kids, well, that's good because kids love learning uh, using games. They love games. So it's, it's, it's a good way to motivate the kids to, um, for, for, the, for, their, for general uh, educational purposes. So you're not really teaching chess, but you're using chess as a tool for uh, the rest of the subjects. But you can only do this if you're a general teacher, a regular teacher. Uh, okay. chess teachers we teach chess right i mean i i teach them how to how to play the moves how uh, the general rules and then we're going on to tactics and strategy and and generally having a good time in the class no uh you teach in english catalan and spanish yeah the school this, our school we have about a thousand students uh in the different um in the different schools of barcelona and uh 95 of that is uh taught in in catalan or in spanish both of the language, uh, whereas uh, me specifically, I deal with um, with the schools, with the English schools in Barcelona. So in Barcelona, there are some English schools as well. Uh, it's an American school. There are two or three English schools where uh, English is the main language of the school. So logically, I am the one who goes to actually teach the lessons in these schools. Okay. One is the St. Paul School and the other one is the Peter Pan School. Okay. And you also mentioned you use technology a lot in your teachings. How, how does that work? Well, uh, our program for the schools includes, uh, we have a book, a three-level book, which uh, we use in the Catalan and the Spanish schools. But uh, personally, what I you normally use is uh, in the class when I'm trying to teach something to a group, uh, I generally use the, the computer connected to um, a projector, I think it's called, that's up on the wall, and that goes to a white screen on, well, it's quite basic actually, you know, and I project um, the materials I have in my computer. And what I like to use is there's a chess page, it's very good actually, called uh, Chess Kids 
uh, Academy uh, UK. It's um, it's a it's a chess page which uh, is from England. The person who developed this is Richard James. He's an English uh, chess teacher, who, by the way, is a very good um, educational chess teacher. He's also written a book, and um, that, actually a person who's who's very knowledgeable about chess in kids. Uh, Richard James, and he's got this uh, chess site called Chess Chess Kids dot uh, UK uh, Chess Kids Academy. And it's very good because um, there's uh, it's all very graphical with um, a very kid kid like view and there's uh, questions there's tests there's uh, it's very good you can you can have a look if you want after after the interview it's uh, it's very good material and I use that in the classes the kids love it because they they can try their their hand at the quizzes and the tests and there's also part theory and that's what I use for for my for the part of the explanations. Uh, but uh, the class typically is one hour, and I try to get in about 30, 35 minutes of play and 20, 25 minutes of theory. That's more or less the uh, the time I use for each for each part of the class. They they have to play. Yeah, they we're, do. We're, we're, we're talking about midday class. Right. The kids have just had lunch. The rest of the kids are playing football in the, in the, in the playground. If you put them in the class and start uh, doing uh, problems and solving things and all theory – that they just won't carry on with the. They have to start playing, have a good time, tournaments, games, different games, and then when they have had a good time, that you they, you know you can always get in ten twenty minutes of of chess theory at the end. That's how I do my classes. Okay, sounds good. Um, and you also do some stuff for ICC, correct? The Internet Chess Club. Yes, um, I, I work for the for the ICC since two thousand five. Um, I'm one of the persons here in Spain who takes care of support for Spanish um, Spanish uh, people and Latin American people, you know, problems that arise, we, we help them out, payments, all this type of stuff. And I also am uh, one of the announcers for the main events uh, for the Spanish side and every now and then one of the one of the English commentators, but basically for the, I'm one of the Spanish uh, commentators. I also do videos for, for the ICC, mainly in Spanish, but we had quite a bit of success with the... Uh, Ace Up Your Sleeve uh, opening series, uh, As in La Manga in Spanish, and we decided to translate it to English, and um, and now it's on sale on the, on the store, and it's going quite well. Seems to, people seem to like it. Everyone likes some opening tricks, don't they? Oh, they definitely do. Yeah, everybody wants shortcuts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, so, and do you get to play much these days? Well, I do play the, I, I don't play very much, That that's true. Uh, I'm not retired. Um, but until about 2005, until I was about 33, 34, I was playing many tournaments, uh, not, not, not a huge amount, but quite a few tournaments every year. Uh, but since I got married and work has come, come along and also other, other interests have, have appeared. I, every, I now play much less that obviously, uh, has made it, has got a big impact in my rating because when you, when you stop playing, it's a vicious circle because if you stop playing, you stop studying. And when you stop studying, you stop playing. It's sort of a vicious circle and your rating sort of goes down. Uh, but I still play the, the league here in here in Spain, the club league. I love playing the club league with my friends. And uh, and I might play one or two tournaments a year, not not much more. Okay. And what, what other interests have you developed that have been uh, keeping you from playing? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say they keep me from playing. It's It's more... 
it's more um, you, you you do lots of uh, chess training. Um, you get married. You're with your wife. Uh, other interests appear. You get less time. One of your one of your earlier guests actually said it quite well. I think it's more that I don't have so much time to play a nine a nine day a nine round tournament. Right. I can't really just stop working and take two weeks off to go and play a tournament, for instance. Uh, one, one of your one of your guests actually mentioned this. Uh, a few a few episodes back, and that's one of the reasons why uh, adult players can't really carry on playing these uh, nine rate round tournaments. I just I just don't have the time. Um, the league is different because we play one game every weekend, every Sunday or every Saturday, so it's a bit easier. Yeah. Um, my interest, well, I love uh, American series and English series, TV series. I'm really hooked on that, and um, that's my one of my which, unwinding. Which ones? Oh, many. Uh, my favorites uh, are the, the classic ones, no? the Sopranos, The Wire, uh, Games of Third. I'm actually now hooked on one. It's a Danish series, series called The Killing. Um, and it's actually in Danish, but I, I, I watch it with, uh, with uh, English subtitles. And it's very, very good. Very, it's a thriller, and it's very good. And uh, Vikings I like a lot. I mean, I see a lot of, uh, a lot of series. So that's one of my interests. The other interest I've been developing for the last year, year and a half, is actually, um, it's quite interesting because I don't practice it myself, but I like watching it a lot, which is the UFC uh, fighting, um, the fight nights. I'm not okay. sure if you Yeah, Greg, Greg Shahadi is into them. It's not my yeah. thing, but, uh, but they are pretty popular here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I started um, listening to um, a podcast uh, about a year ago called Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan. Yeah. He has very, very good um, uh, people to interview. And he, it seems, he liked this a lot and was always talking about it. And it sort of sparked my attention. I saw three or four fights. And um, at first I thought it was just, I mean, sort of boxing with, with, with a bit of karate and stuff. But then I started to get a bit more into it, look, listening to the podcast. And I saw that it was... Um, it was very interesting. There's all types of tactics, strategies, different types of matchups, different types of uh, of, um, of, of, of uh, there's some, some who do jujitsu, some who are box, some who the MMA thing is, is very interesting, and and I, I enjoy it quite a lot. I'm I'm quite hooked on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's some chess players are into it for sure. You're not the first person to tell me that there's a lot of strategy. Um, hmm. Like, there is. It's, it's a bit like a chess match, actually, one against one, because you can see how how um, the different matchups in style, how each of them try to use their style at the same time, preventing the other a, a fighter trying to use his own arms. So it's quite interesting. Right. Prophylaxis. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of prophylaxis there. Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, back to the TV thing. I just wanted to say it. I have to say it sounds like. Uh, the guests we've had on this show seem to have very good taste in TV shows. Um, Mr. Svidler, Jan Gustafsson, famous TV watcher, and, and I'm yep. a fan of most of the shows you mentioned as well. So it's it's funny that Jun Ludwig Hammer, when he was on, he also mentioned that a lot of grandmasters are watching a lot of the TV shows. Yeah. So so it, it's very funny. Actually, um, a, f- a few years ago, I suppose there's no there's no damage in me saying this. A few years ago, I, uh, I met uh, Vichy Anand in one of the tournaments here in Spain. And uh, and we actually talked about that. And he also had a, a, an interest in see in in seeing uh, TV shows, specifically um, English uh, comedy shows, 
which um, which I know about that because also Peter Hein Nielsen was was also was also was also a, a fan of these uh, English uh, comic shows. Um, for instance, um, Only Fools and Horses. That's a, a rare one, but it's very good. What's it called again? Um, uh, Only Fools and Horses. Okay. That's a very good one. Very funny. If you like English English comedy, then there's one that's uh, the Forty Towers. Everyone knows about Forty Towers with John Cleese. Um, so there, Mr. Bean. There's right. many of them. Legendary, and, yeah. Yeah, it's legendary, and uh, it does seem that. Um, but it's quite it's quite uh, logical if you think about it, because chess players uh, always travel with their computers, and they need something to unwind after a tough chess game. Um, so it seems quite natural and logical that they they might be interested in in tv shows which they can see on their computer so i think it's uh i think it's it's relatively logical no yeah you you may have cracked the case we we figured out why all these grandmasters are watching tv but it's it 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 does seem logical that they 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 can they can see and also because uh i'm not sure in spain in, in usa how it's how it's working but netflix has come to 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 spain now and it seems that there's a general uh, change from people watching the regular TV to going actually to to podcasts, to uh, TV shows, to um, to videos, um, to uh, to series, uh, up to the point that when I see in, in at home a film, sometimes I can't see the full full, full film for one and a half hours, and I have to do it in two forty-five minute parts. And I think that may have something to do with me seeing many series of 45 minutes. It's a funny thing that's happened to me. Yeah. I think the, the smartphone for me, too, is like a, it's a distraction. If, uh, if I have it, I want to look at it. And if I put it down, my attention span is shorter, which is not something to be proud of. But, <laughs> but it's no, true. But um, this is a change of times, isn't it? It's, yes. Yes, it is. It's just something that's happening. And, and more or less, you have to adapt to it. No? So, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that. I used to play a bit of poker as well. I've heard you that a lot of chess players also do that, and in other podcasts, I've heard that you you were also or a player, but at a very low level. I do okay. have a friend. I do have a colleague who who is a good player. He plays um, a one two and two four no limit hold'em. He actually won the Sunday Million. Oh uh, wow! When Spain was integrated in 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 the world, because then in 2012 Spain was uh, segregated and they started taxing it. And um, and a lot of uh, professional players here in Spain just went to live in England and they emigrated because uh, having been in tax and the player pool went down dramatically because th- there was only Spanish players playing. But this was something that affected more my friend. But I was I, I used to play some tournaments at a very low level. I think they're called micro stakes. Right. Yeah. And you guys uh, have that casino right in Barcelona, right? We do. We do have a good casino here. The Casino of Barcelona, I've been two or three times only, but it's a very nice casino. And they actually do a very important tournament here once a year called the PokerStars uh, Barcelona event. They normally right. do it in August. And I know that uh, a huge amount of very good players come when, when the tournament is here. It's a very nice casino, actually, next to the beach. Very nice. Yeah, I went through a poker tourism phase when I was playing professionally, but uh, I've been to Barcelona, but not not for poker. That would have been a fun one. Yeah, but, uh, Barcelona is a very nice place to come to to visit as a holiday. Um, I think Anna Rudolph mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago. She's living in Madrid, but she also mentioned that Barcelona is very nice. Um, you have everything. You have a beach. You have uh, decent food, a huge amount of good restaurants. 
you can see the Sagrada Familia, which is an incredible church. Um, it's a it's a lovely cosmopolitan town. Actually, a lot of the a lot of the uh, luxury boats, the cruiser boats, I think they're called. They have their base in Barcelona, and they do the Mediterranean. And uh, some of the biggest boats in uh, um, in in the world actually dock in in the Barcelona port and and uh, and then do the tour. So it's a very nice place to come for a few days. Yeah, so. Barcelona is so nice that I worry that that could impact its ability to churn out like strong chess players. There's just there's too much fun stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the weather's yeah. too nice. The beach is there. They can't be studying yeah. chess all the day. All uh, today time. actually is one of the worst days of the year because it's been raining all day. Uh, the, the funny thing is that um, uh, it doesn't rain much in 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 Barcelona uh, in number of days, but when it rains, it rains a lot. So it actually rains uh, during the year the same amount of rain in Barcelona as in London. You would never think this was possible. But uh, in London, it rains nearly every day, but it only drizzles. In Barcelona, it rains uh, fewer days a year, but a a bigger amount of rain. So when it rains here, it really is wet. But, uh, I mean, from April onwards... The weather is great here in Barcelona, so it's a, it's a nice place to to a bit hectic because it's a city, but it's a nice place to come about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't can't gush about it enough. Uh, so you mentioned, as we mentioned earlier, you've uh, been teaching for twenty five years. Did you have any jobs outside of chess, or uh, have you just been working in chess as an adult? I w- yeah, I was no. I've done other jobs. Um, I, I, when I when I dropped out of university, I started working uh, in different jobs um, related to uh, to, to resta- restaurants and, and and some bars as a waiter. These this type of part time jobs. Then I was working actually in a chess club for many years. Um, in, a, in one of the biggest chess clubs in Barcelona, I was the sort of animator, uh, trainer, administrative uh, person who takes care of all the club members, etc., etc. Then I started working for a few years uh, doing the accounting in an English school, in an English language school. But um, that wasn't really for me because by then I'd, I'd seen that what I enjoyed most was uh, playing and teaching chess. Uh, above all, teaching chess. I love teaching chess. Um, I love having the feeling of getting with the kids and, and adults and, and, and seeing their, their eyes open up when, when we see some brilliant idea on the board. I really love teaching. So, um, yeah, I'd say that from 25, 26 onwards, uh, basically my, my life has been uh, related to chess. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, very, and I'm very happy that has been like that. I mean, uh, a lot of people tell me that I'm really quite fortunate because uh, – uh, I've been able to convert my hobby, my passion, in in my job, and that's something that that uh, is quite nice. It's tiring, obviously, because it's it's work anyway. But um, I mean, it's much nicer than doing many other jobs, no? Yeah, I agree, and it's it's good that good to appreciate it too. Because yeah, I, I do, I do. Yeah, I do. and uh, since you work for Grandmaster Aleskis, do you do you just have one employer, or are you sort of like an independent contractor? Uh, who has to set up a lot of stuff on on his own? Yeah, well, uh, since um, I, I, I was working uh, basically for Miguel um, in a small team in the small company from 2000 to 2012, 2013, more or less full time. Um, then um, we sort of changed our arrangements, and uh, and now it's more a part time job with Miguel 
obviously very important, but part-time. And now I also work for the Catalan Federation, four or five years training the, the, the best kids in the in the Catalan, the actual, the best kids in Catalonia. There's six million um, the people in Catalonia, so it's it's a big region here in Spain. And, and also I have uh, quite a few private students, uh, which I teach um, both on the internet, if they're not Barcelona-based, and if they're Barcelona-based, I have quite a few students who live near nearby. And in these cases, I normally go to their house or they come to my house and we te- I teach them sort of face-to-face, no? So, yeah, I divide my, my time um, basically uh, in these three, three areas. And also, I, I do have a, a YouTube channel as well, um, one of the main YouTube channels in Spanish with about 6,500 uh, subscribers. Um, but it's a, it's a pastime. Because right. uh, I, I, if I can, I publish one video every week, more or less, and I like to publish some Blitz videos or um, a top game analyzed by me or a puzzle, and it's quite popular, but it's a pastime. I can't really dedicate much time to that. Yeah, I'd like to, but unfortunately, I can't. Yeah. And do you follow uh, international chess pretty closely? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm quite uh, – well, I, I have to because – uh, part of my job uh, working for the ICC is to cover these tournaments, uh, but but also uh, I'm my passion is chess. I mean I'm an international master, and who knows, uh, someday I might have more time to play some tournaments and try and go for a grandmaster norm. It's going to be tough, but I'd like to do that sometime. And uh, when there's international tournaments, I love uh, at night time I tune into ICC or Chess Twenty Four or Chess dot com or wherever, and I I go over the games. And if I find an interesting uh, idea or an interesting position and a good ending, or I can just incorporate it to my chess-based files and I use that in my classes afterwards. So, yeah, I like doing that as well. Right, yeah. And I I guess if you're working with the top kids, uh, the top Catalan players, young players, you get to teach reasonably high-level students. Yeah, Yeah, in in the schools, it's basic. It's basic chess. It's more... Um, the, the, the school is more motivational. Um, I, I've always thought that when you teach chess in schools, um, it's a low level and, and, and the teacher is doing a motivational job. We're trying to transmit our passion for chess to these kids to allow them to, uh, to have a good time learning chess. And maybe one or two of them will go on to, to become a chess club player and, and maybe have chess as part of their passion their whole lives. When you're teaching, um, uh, when you're training uh, high-level regional uh, kids, now we're talking about kids that have 2,000 feeder rating, 2,100 feeder rating, 2,200 feeder rating. Now that's a different thing. Now you're going into technification. Now you're, you're dealing with, with endings. You're dealing with openings. You're dealing with strategy. You're teaching them uh, opening repertoires. I, I take them afterwards to the Spanish tournaments. Um, I have to train them. When we're in the tournament, they play against the other, the other kids of other parts of Spain. That's a, it's a different, it's a, that's a more competitive chess. I enjoy most this type of chess. I also like giving chess classes to kids in schools, but um, obviously my passion is teaching kids who who have talent and uh, and are good players. That's my passion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I can I can relate to that. So, yeah. so you also mentioned on your website that you had a chance to interview Vladimir Kramnik, and you consider it a career highlight. Yeah, that that, that was very cool. That was very cool. Could you yeah. tell us a little more about it? Yeah, that was in that was in um, that was in uh, Turin. Now this came about um, 
2004, there was the Olympiad in, in Calviá, in Menorca. It's here in Spain. Um, and I had the opportunity to go to Menorca and uh, working for the ICC to be able to announce the games, the Olympiad games to the audience over there in the Olympiad. That was a, a huge event for me and I really enjoyed it a lot. Two years later, in 2006, um, the Olympiad was in Turin, which is in the, I think it's in the south of Italy. Yeah, uh, the south of Italy. No, the north of Italy, sorry. Turin is in the north of Italy. Um, and uh, ICC uh, did a one-week booth there. They, they, they had their, their stand with the computers, with um, advertising stuff. We, we, ICC was present there in the Olympiad. And I had the opportunity to go there, and I was able to interview uh, several uh, top grandmasters. Uh, Aronian was one of them. Uh, Victor Bologan was another one of them. They're excellent players and very nice persons. And, uh, and Vladimir Kramik was the highlight. And I knew him beforehand because Miguel Iescas used to train with him, and he'd been in Barcelona. So I knew him beforehand. But interviewing him 30 minutes in the... In the booth of ICC, that was that was fantastic. It was th these are really really cool guys. I mean, they're very nice persons, very intelligent, huge chess players. I mean, brilliant players, and the opportunity to talk to them to discuss a bit of chess that's something that uh, I'll remember all my life. That was wonderful. It was, it was brilliant. I had a really good, really good time there in, in Turin. Yeah, hopefully, I'd love to talk to him myself, of course. <laughs> So Vladimir, if you're listening, give me a shout. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're 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 very nice players. I I I really enjoy if you if you are able to get one of these guys on on the uh, well, you got Peter Spidler, and that was a huge interview. I, I I enjoyed it a lot. Peter Spidler is a is a really intelligent guy. He speaks English fantastically. Yes, he does. I mean, and he's he, modest he about it. <laughs> yeah, and he 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 has he he has a control of so many different words and so many different phrases. He's Hugely intelligent, very nice person. I've also interviewed uh, him, by the way. We, uh, I met him in Leon, in the tournament of Leon, Advanced Chess in Leon, a few years ago. And I also interviewed him. He talked to me about cricket. I mean, you know, I'm talking oh. to Peter Smidler, and he started talking about cricket. No, he's, a, he's also very, very nice oh, guy. That's, that's the way to his heart, if you can hold your own in a cricket conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I actually, although I'm English, I, I didn't know much about cricket. But <laughs> right. uh, he, he seemed to be very knowledgeable about cricket. He enjoyed it a lot. Uh, he was also a very nice person and very, very kind. Very yeah, kind. likewise. That was my experience as well. Uh, so what's going on uh, with the top players in Spain right now? Like who, who's, uh, who's leading the charge? Any, any young players we should be on the lookout for? Well, the, 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 best, uh, the best Spanish player at the moment, probably with quite a bit of difference, is uh, Paco Vallejo. Vallejo. Vallejo yes. Bons. You've probably heard about him. He's I, I met him through. I met him through Jan briefly years yeah, ago. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think he also yeah, he has good relationship with 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 Jan and Chess with Twenty Four. He's a very good player. He's twenty seven ten, twenty seven twenty, and he's been there for the last, I mean, ten fifteen years. So he's probably more or less at his peak. Uh, I don't think, although he's a hugely talented player, I don't think that now he can really. Think about going towards the 2800 uh, player. He is 34. And uh, I mean, if you don't get to 2800 by 20, 21 years old, it's about it's difficult to get there when you're 24. No, but he's an excellent player. And coming behind him, there are two players we probably have to look out for. One of them is called um, David Anton. 
who um, who who was second in Gibraltar behind Nakamura very recently. Oh yeah, yeah he had quite a performance. Guitaro. Yeah, he, and now he's a great guy. He's he's a very modest, a hugely talented player, and I think he's now twenty twenty six fifty. And he's about 21 years old. So he's on the way there. He's, right. he's very good. He's now he's currently playing a tournament in Sarjar in the United Emirates. It started yesterday, an international tournament there. He's one of the kids I'd, I'd really, I really think can get very high. And where, uh, in, where in Spain is he from? He's from Madrid. Okay. He, he's from Madrid. Um, the other guy who plays very well and is also very young is Ivan Salgado. He's also grandmaster, also twenty six forty, and um, and I think he's slightly older than David Anton. But obviously, we're talking about guys who are twenty two, twenty three. So it's it's still possible for them to 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 become huge players. And then behind them, there are a lot of uh, young players, IMs and GMs with twenty five hundred. Actually, one of them's in in the United States now. He's called uh, Angel Arribas. And I think he plays with the Texas University, if I'm not mistaken. He's about 25-30 or 25-40. And he's one of the, he's one of the Spanish players who, who studies in one of the uh, American universities under some sort of uh, sponsorship or something like that. I'm not sure how that works. But he's over there playing the league there. So there are quite a few good players in Spain. That's basically the Olympic team. Um, okay. Vallejo, Anton, Salgado. And then the other player who generally plays with the Olympic team is uh, a Russian who uh, immigrated to Spain called uh, Korneev, uh, Oleg Korneev, Korneev, uh, Korneev. I'm not sure how you say it in, in English, Korneev, K-O-R-N-E-E-V. He's 26, 20, 26, 30, also a very, a very strong grandmaster. So we have a good team, but we can't really compete with... China, Armenia, I mean, these guys are Russia. These guys, they're all 27, 28, <laughs> They're much yeah. better than us. Yeah, well, these things so. go in cycles. So maybe uh, Spain will have its day. Who so. knows? There's a lot of chess in schools now. That's definitely very popular here in Spain. And uh, obviously, uh, that's been happening for the last 15 years. And so obviously, a lot of these kids who now are international masters and grandmasters have come out of chess programs in the school. So uh, quantity uh, normally translates to quality. So hopefully in five or ten years we'll still get... Uh, but there's a, a, a small problem in Spain, Ben. Uh, in general, in uh, this is a, it's a bit tricky, but, but basically my idea is, is as follows. If you're born in an occidental country like Spain or France or England or Germany, even the States, uh, chess is not such a popular uh, sport to become a professional. Um, uh, there are very few real, prof chess, real professional chess players because it's very difficult to make a living out of playing chess here in Spain or actually in any, any Occidental country unless you're a really, really top-level player. I mean, you can, look in, you can look in the States. How many professionals... Uh, make a living out of just playing chess in the States. Yeah. Uh, maybe five, five or six, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, five or six. Uh, there are a lot of very good grandmasters who occasionally win a tournament, but when you dig deep, you'll find that they're teaching or they have other incomes and they don't... Whereas if you come from um, 
a different type of country, uh, maybe becoming a chess professional is huge. And it allows you to make a very good income. I'm thinking of maybe South American countries or or Soviet countries, ex-Soviet, such as uh, Georgia, Armenia. Um, these countries, maybe the general salary is very low. So if you can become a, a good chess player, not even a top chess player, just a good chess player, and you're able to win some tournaments, your income is very good for for, for, for the level of uh, the level of um, salaries in your country, uh, and this is something that uh, happens to countries that have a, a more or less high uh, standard of living. That is much more difficult to, for for parents to allow their kids to sort of leave school and try and become a chess professional because it just doesn't work. It's going to be very difficult. Um, and, and that's that's a fact, I think, that if, if you come from a, a country with a lower uh, level of uh, of, um, of income, the, the, where, where, uh, where if you're a good chess player, you can, you can actually make more money than any other job, then it's much more interesting for for kids to, for parents to allow their kids to go full-time into chess. That's right. Maybe that's why uh, India and China are producing so many just amazing players right now it's definitely one of the reasons the one of the other reasons they've got billions of people living there no and the federation supports a lot but uh for instance uh, india india um as far as i know uh every year there are huge amount amounts of indians coming to play tournaments in spain i've recently played a tournament and there were 25 indian players i mean after spanish players there were the, the most uh, of the country was indians and all of the Indian players were exceptionally good. They were kids of 10 years old, that they were, they, 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 they were really tough opponents. And even the adult Indian players were very good as well. And, 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 and what to say about the grandmasters. And there's many of them. And uh, I asked one of the organizers, and they told me that many of these adult players uh, work for the government in, um, in, in, uh, in government jobs. And, and the government allows them through the federation to play to play these tournaments with their kids, it's a sort of it's sort of um, well looked upon about the, for the government. There's a support, and that and that allows them to go out of their country. And actually, if you look at the international tournaments around the world, you'll find huge amount of Indians playing in every one of them. They're, 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 every tournament in Spain, there's fifteen or twenty Indian players playing, and they come in families. So there must be some to- some sort of support from the the federation there for them. I'm sure about that. Yeah, I've been wanting to get a guest on from India just to sort of get into those types of questions because because I've also noticed that, and I know that uh, in Gibraltar, you know that that super young I am uh, that, that Simon Williams calls Double Anand, whose name I unfortunately can't otherwise pronounce, but uh, they when he was on a tear, they were talking about it and they were saying not only are they. Uh, they're deep in numbers at these tournaments, but they seem to be underrated. <laughs> Which yeah, is, if you if you play against one of these Indian kids, um, it's uh, it's a pity because you play against them with two thousand rating, and then three months after they are out there with two thousand four hundred. Because <laughs> right. with, with with K K equal forty, they play two three tournaments, and they really go up. There's quite a few very good Indian players. Young, there's one of them is called uh, Nihal Sarin, who's playing now in in the Sajar. Yesterday he beat uh, Grandmaster. Uh, Matthias Blaucham, I think. And there's another one. I think uh, Williams was probably referring to Paragnanadan, I think yes, it's called. Yeah. A very long name. 
He's a huge player. He's wonderful. I, I saw one of his wins against the Grandmaster. And, I mean, it was fantastic positional play. Wonderful. They're really, really good players. And these are the top Indian kids. But there's there's hundreds of them. I yeah, mean, least, no shortage of people in India. So Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, in the tournament I played in December, I was playing um, against the Grandmaster on one board. Um, he, he was crushing me. So I paid more attention to the Indian guy next to me, who was about 14 years old. And he was playing against a Serbian grandmaster of twenty five fifty, and he was he was just crushing him. He he was going he was he was sacrificing. He was attacking me all over the board with a confidence that was really. I mean, I mean, I, I was thinking. I mean, this guy is fourteen years old and he's crushing this grandmaster. He obviously made an international master norm in the tournament. It was it was it was, uh, it was incredible. And then I had my chance to play against one of the Indian adults, and I could only get a draw. And uh, and he was one of the adults with twenty two hundred. And I thought, okay, if he's tw- if he's forty seven or forty eight and he's twenty two hundred, he can't be so talented than the kids, you know. Right. <laughs> I, I couldn't beat him either. So yeah. I thought I don't want to play against Indians if I go to a tournament. <laughs> right, they're really tough, and Chinese as well. I mean, it's the same thing. Even with the kids that that I teach here in Pittsburgh in the United States, uh, the Chinese American and Indian American kids, I, I'd rather not play them, and there's a lot more interest. Uh, yeah. I actually, I actually had a Chinese student um, from Shanghai. Uh, he was living in Barcelona because his father um, was working as a. I mean, he had some sort of business in Shanghai, and they had a delegation in in Spain. He was he was here. So when he was in Barcelona, they came into contact with me, and I was giving him lessons. And a really nice kid, very talented. When they went back to China, we still had uh, lessons by the internet. Well, that was a bit difficult because of the time the time schedule. But we were having our lessons once every two or three weeks. But when the kid got a bit bigger, when he was 13, 14, he gradually lost interest in chess because he, he became a very good mathematics uh, competitor. And and I do know that now he's playing, I think they call it playing, but he's competing in maths contests all over the world. So wow. he's, <laughs> yeah, the Chinese kids are, are super intelligent. Uh, they're educated in a different way. They're very respectful. Indians as well. Very modest. Tremendously modest. And I think that's a virtue for chess players, being modest, very humble, I think there's a word. And they're very humble. I mean, uh, they never brag about the games they play. They just go about their game and try to learn. And that's the way to go with chess, actually. It's the best way to go. Yeah. Uh, Chinese are, are brilliant players. And I think they don't... At least I don't see so many younger Chinese players coming to play in Spain, uh, whereas Indian players leave their country a lot. I think China, uh, they're, mo- they're more focused on domestic play. Uh, they, they play more in China. Uh, yeah. What I do know, because I asked about this, is that China has a very uh, a special type of training system where the top players train the intermediate players and the intermediate players train the younger players. So they're always sharing their secrets and sharing their knowledge. And that's very good because um, they, they leave their individual um, progress a bit on the side and uh, and they share it to make the Chinese players in a group much better. And uh, that, that, that's, when, I, when I found out about that, I thought that that's a great idea. But that wouldn't work in, in a country such as Spain. I mean, uh, the top grandmasters, um, they, they won't start training uh, medium grandmasters 
for them to become as good as them. It's a different, it's right. a different mentality. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they work. You'd have to pay them a lot for them to do that. Yeah, I don't think it would work here either, although it is a nice idea. It's a very nice idea, and it seems they do that in China on a regular basis. So that's one of their secrets. They, they, they actually became uh, Olympic champions a couple of years ago, the Chinese team. And, uh, and in interviews, they were always talking about the Chinese team spirit and that they shared ideas and they prepared the games together. And that just doesn't happen in 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 other in other teams. Uh, if you, I, I did. I think you interviewed. Was it um, the American coach Lenderman? Lenderman, yeah, GM Lenderman. Len- and and he actually mentioned that he was helping, but you know, not so much because each of the players normally did their own preparation. He even mentioned that it was tricky to make sure that to not do to not tell one player the preparation of another player. It was tricky for him. That's understandable. But that wouldn't happen in China because they share all their secrets because it's a team effort. Yeah. So, and I think that's very good. The other thing is that American has has a huge team, so they didn't really need that, no? Because I mean, with Nakamura, Fabiano Caruana, and Wesley So, <laughs> that's yeah. an incredible team. Yeah, it's, it's more than enough to win. Well, thanks for that insight, Michael. It's the next best thing to my having a Chinese or Indian guest. Uh, um, I, you, I feel, you, feel like I learned a little bit about their cultures. So I, I love you to be able to get one of these, uh, uh, an Indian guest or a, or a Chinese guest on the. Yeah, so Indians it, probably easier because Chinese don't speak so much English. Yeah, They're, I agree. But the yes. Indians speak very good English in general. Yeah, sooner or later it'll happen. Um, was there anything else you want to talk about before I let you go, Michael? Well, um, I, I, I was very happy when you when you asked me to, to come on the program because I'm really a huge fan of your program. I think um, it's something that uh, that you don't really need to to have a chessboard to be able to to have a discussion with with a chess player. In general, most chess players are, are quite open and 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 can talk about a load of different things. So, Ben, uh, thanks for for inviting me and. And and be sure I'll be I'll continue listening to all the rest of your 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 invitees and and I'll and I'll, I'll try and spread the word here in Spain, although not many Spanish people uh, understand English well. But uh, in the chess players group, a lot of them uh, list, uh, speak English, so I'll try and share it. Okay, well I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Michael. I really enjoyed this interview, and uh, keep up the good work in uh, in Barcelona. Enjoy the city. <laughs> okay, it's been a pleasure. If you ever come to Barcelona. Don't forget to, to hit me up and, and we'll go out and eat a, a nice paella. Oh, sounds good to me. I'll definitely do that. <laughs> That'd be nice. No All problem. right. Take care, Michael. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.